It is my pleasure to welcome you to our Synergy Lecture Series. And the purpose of the Synergy Lecture Series is to give the UCSC and Santa Cruz community an opportunity to learn about the exciting research being done in science and engineering um, here on campus. And today's lecture will be recorded and the podcast will be made available <laughs> on, our, on our library website and YouTube. Um, <laughs> Many people have been responsible for uh, putting together this lecture series today, and I'd like to take an opportunity to thank them, especially the uh, Synergy Committee, including Molly Jaffe, Weiwei, Terry Haugen, Jillian Keller, Peggy McNicholas, and Danielle Kane. And now I'd like to invite Danielle Kane, our chemistry librarian, to introduce today's speaker. Uh, so thank you all for coming. It is a pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Pradeep Masharak. Dr. Masharak received his PhD from the Institute Techno sorry, the Indian Institute of Technology, Kanpur, in 1979. That same year, he joined the research group of Professor Richard Holm at Stanford University, and then later moved to Harvard University. Before joining the faculty at UCSC in 1984, he worked with Professor Stephen J. Lepard at MIT. His major focus of research includes the modeling of active sites of metalloenzymes, catalysts for green chemistry, and the synthesis of photoactive nitric oxide donor drugs. He has earned a number of awards, such as the Excellence Through Diversity Award in 2005. He was an Alfred P. Sloan Fellow from 1993 through 1995. And in 1992, he won the Innovations in Teaching Award at UCSC. He has published over 180 papers in peer-reviewed journals, has written several book chapters, and given numerous talks, both national and international. Today, Dr. Masharak will discuss the fundamentals and potentials of an intriguing treatment of cancer with light, and he will highlight the unconventional use of nitric oxide in this process. Today's talks will cover a number of medical terms, and we ask that you hold your questions till the end of the talk. Please join me in welcoming Professor Pradeep Masharak. Thank you. Yeah, it, it looks like that I'm giving a lecture in the chemistry department, but that's all right. <laughs> I mean, uh, before I start today, uh, I will start with a, a quiz because I was born in uh, Jaipur, India, so I wanted to just show where Jaipur is. So this is just the geography quiz, okay? So this is. This is Jaipur, the capital of the state of Rajasthan, which means uh, the land of the kings. So this state has numerous castles, fort, and all, and Jaipur being the capital is no exception. And it is called the pink city. The reason is the castles there are mostly built with uh, pink sandstones. Example is here. There are castles everywhere in the midst of lake or on land. And Jaipur is also pretty well known because more than one third of world's precious gems, diamond, rubies, emeralds, are polished and cut in this city. So if you just visit India, I mean, just keep Jaipur in your right and rear, and you won't miss. I mean, you'll be having a good time there. So with that advertisement for my birthplace, so let's come back to the sun and skin cancer. So this is just a typical scene at the beach, plenty of exposed skin and sunlight. 
but if you look at sun, uh, it's pretty hot. Okay, and streams of light of various intensity and various frequency are streaming out of this planet and then a significant portion of it is reaching the surface of our planet. Even the high energy light will be filtered by miles of atmosphere above us. A portion of the UV visible and infrared radiations will reach to this planet. And we are interested particularly for this talk is in the UV lights which are called UVA and B depending on the frequency or the wavelength domain. The 280 to 320 is UVB which is more harmful to your skin because it's high energy. And UVA, which is 320 to 400, which is harmful, but not as harmful as UVB. Minor exposure with, uh, for a fair-skinned person could cause mild burn. But if you stay in the sun for too long, you will have a medium burn. And if you stay too long, you might have a very painful situation. Even though this guy is smiling, I'm sure he has a lot of pain. So. I mean, this guy, of course, is smart, and so he's just protecting himself with just a towel. So why this light attacks your skin? If you want to understand, you have to just go and look at the structure of skin, which is this stratified squamous epithelium, which basically the epidermis, which is the top part of your skin, which is about a millimeter thick, which has about four layers. The top layer is basically dead cells, which has a lot of keratin, the structural protein, and which gives your skin kind of the tough and water-repelling type of surface which you need. And then if you go down a little bit, here is the squamous cell layers, and this is the basal part of it. And then this is mostly about 80 to 90% cells are called the keratinocytes, which are cells which will produce keratin. And then there is about 8 to 10% cells which are melanocytes, which are the cells where the dark skin pigment will be synthesized. And these skins, through these long kind of tentacles, will basically go through the layer of keratinocytes and will provide or deliver melanin as your skin is exposed to sun. The melanin will go and basically surround the nuclear envelope of the keratinocytes which are facing the sun, and that's the way it will protect your skin. And that will cause your tanning, which your skin will turn darker. And then there are other cells, like the Langerhorn cells, which are just immune cells, and then the epidermis ends and the dermis begin, and then you have all the nerve connections, the blood vessels, the subcutaneous fatty tissues, and your muscle is somewhere here. And that's the structure, and it is the first one, 1 1.5 millimeter which actually is get exposed to sun, and this is where our focus is for today. So practically there are three types of skin cancer. The first one is the basal cell carcinomas, where it is cancer of the basal layer of the epidermis, which you are looking at. This causes about 90% of skin cancers in the United States, which it is basically starts at the head, neck, arm, or face, as you can understand, that's the exposed part of your body, and if it's for the light color skin. It, it grows slowly, and if it, is, if it is treated properly, because it doesn't spread too much, 
unless the skin is just above your bone and that is time the bone might get slightly affected but otherwise it is mostly in the basal areas and the cure rate is pretty high. The next type is the squamous cell carcinomas which is slightly deeper and this is the second most common cancers. There's a lot of incidents of this kind in the US. It starts with a red scaly patch and again near ear, face or your mouth, near the lip area or the rims of the ear. It grows more aggressively than VCC because it is somewhat in the deeper layer and since it is in the deeper layer it can spread if you let it go for some time. And it will go down to your lymph nodes and then the other part like for example lung, liver, it can go all the way to the foot. For example, here is an example where it has really taken its shape. And this, this kind could be a little bit aggressive if you let it go. However, the cure rate is very high. The third one is the malignant cutaneous melanoma. I mean, this is the most dangerous one, the more aggressive one, the most virulent one. And this basically starts like not that bad. I mean, it's like a mole which looks a bit unusual. And but it can start on the rim of your ear, which is like a small patch. But it can go very aggressively, and you can see here it has spread throughout the body. And indeed, this one takes care of over 75% of death related to skin cancer. And worldwide, about 160 to 200,000 cases are reported by World Terror Organizations, 40,000 in the US. And the death is, this is what World Health Organization reported last year, is about 50,000 people died out of melanoma. It is rising about 5% rate in the United States, so there is a cause for concern. And so far, the surgical resection of the primary tumor, if it is about a millimeter thick, that's the primary mode of treatment. However, after that's done, you basically try chemotherapy or radiation therapy to take care of the last part of the clean cleanup. And interestingly, melanoma has a family history, it is dependent on family history, and I'll talk about that in a second, and more men above 40 are affected. The characteristics were the doctors will call you dysplastic nevi, which is basically an atypical mole, and they call the ABCD of the mole, that's what you have to understand. It's basically A is for asymmetry. Unlike mole, this side and this side is not very symmetric. That's the first sign. Second is the border irregularity. It is not smooth. As you can see, somewhere it is a little bit lumpy. Somewhere it is going just like a coloration, things like that. The color is also important. That's the C. You can see the pigmentation is not uniform. You can see somewhere it is darker. Somewhere it is light red. Somewhere light pink. So, and the, finally, the diameter, which is above 6 millimeters. So if something grows too quickly, or you haven't seen it a few months ago and it is now growing faster, then you have a cause of concern. And once it goes to a point where this case is, you will basically have a little bit of oozing, a little bit of bleeding, and you might have swelling, tenderness, and the typical problem of pain and other inflammation signs will show up pretty fast. 
Your retinal epithelial cells also can have carcinomas. I mean, that's kind of a melanoma, but that's an ocular melanoma, which is melanoma of the eye. And if you are a light color, particularly blue or pale green, I mean, that's very visible, and this is the retinal pigment epithelial cells which are getting out of control. So we now know that the contributing factors, the primary one is sunburn. Repeated tanning is another problem. And it has been proved now that keratinocytes, if you expose to UV light, what it will produce, it will release cytokines and growth factors like interleukin 1, 6, 8, the tumor growth factors like alpha, beta, then insulin type growth factors. So these are the cytokines or growth factors which will promote malignancy. So these are chemical, also chemical carcinogens are like benzidine is one example which really causes skin malignancy pretty fast. Occupational exposure is also a reason or a source of this kind of malady. I mean, coal tar, creosote, the people who are working on Caltrans, for example, those who are exposed to these kind of material every day. And then arsenic compounds, and those who are exposed to radiations also, they get to skin cancer episodes. As I mentioned, hereditary is a primary factor. And blue eye, pale complexion, red hair, most persons from Scotland, right? Have, and those who have a lot of freckles are very prone to skin cancer. And indeed, families with dysplastic nevi means a lot of moles in the family. I mean, they are also susceptible, and it has been discovered now. They call atypical mole syndrome, or AMS, which is kind of an heterogeneous gene which is present in several chromosomes. For example, 9P is an example. I mean, it is present in multiple copies in people or families who have incidence of skin cancer, say three or four in one generation. And this AMS have been now detected in you know, very many families who have this gene present, and they are, I mean, I mean, they take a little bit of care ahead of time, i.e., for example, exposure to sun and other simple steps. Incidentally, stress has been shown to cause or develop a little bit of progression of skin cancer also, though the connection has not been very clear. Of course, we blame stress to everything, right? So this is the other example. So that's the problem with light. So let's see what light can do for us on the other side. So the treatment of light has a history which is about 3,000 years old. I mean, even in ancient Egypt, India, China, it was very common just to put something on and line the sun. And typical things like psoriasis or dermatitis has been handled this way in ancient civilization for a long time. But if you look at the scientific literature, by 1900, it was very clear that this is a mode of treatment which was getting evident to people. For example, the Danish scientist Neil Finson, who got a Nobel Prize, oh, the spelling is wrong here. I mean, the 903, 1903 for light therapy, what he showed is that if you have cutaneous tuberculosis, then if you expose yourself to UV light, that can be cured. He also showed that if you have smallpox 
all those nodules will be slightly better off if you shine red light on it. So he called that light therapy, and that's the way it stayed for quite some time. But as these discoveries were made, people got curious and started using various dyes. And basically the dyes were acting as photosensitizer, that's all. Like, for example, this French guy Prime or this German, um, they used this eosin, which is a dye on skin tumors, and exposed to light and showed the tumor regression is just kind of a common phenomenon. And they reported quite a few of these studies in the literature. Actually, um, by 1911, Hausman was the one who first thought heme, which is a natural dye to him, which is a porphyrin. So he basically started injecting mice with it and showed that skin lesions on mice can be handled this way. If you inject kind of porphyrins and then you shine light on them. So, but things were not very clear why it happens, how it happens. By 1913, I mean, this gentleman was so desperate, he injected himself with 200 milligram of porphyrin and then sat in the sun and then he reported he has swelling and pain in that area where the sun hit. So he was trying to connect the connection, I mean, the, basically the relation between light and this kind of dye, which were at that time kind of used just arbitrarily. By 1960s, the term photodynamic therapy came to the literature, and it was Lipson in Mayo Clinic who started using photodynamic therapy as a viable treatment modality. And then what he started doing is he developed with Schwartz something called hematoporphyrin derivatives, which basically are concoctions of heme containing material. That is a procedure how to do it, and the company has patented that. So he started using that to see the effect of that on skin cancer in adjunction to light. And 1976, the first human trial was taken with the help of HPD, and by 1993, photoporphyrin, which is basically a protoporphyrin type of derivatives, which was approved for human treatment in Canada, and within a few years it was accepted in the United States. So what exactly the therapy is? Suppose you have a kind of a skin cancer lesions on your face, so you will be injected with this HPD, and then you will ask to go home. So it is about one to two milligram per kilogram of your body weight. And then this whole thing distributes along your body, this heme-containing material enters cancer cells more than normal cells, simply because the cancer cells have bad lymphatic drainage. It has a very fast vasculature growth, and therefore the solubility of this heme material in the endothelium is so high that it goes in there faster than a normal cell. So after that, you come back to the doctor's office, and basically you are treated with a light, laser light, 630 is the common nanometer laser which are used. And then you basically allow the photosensitizer to absorb the light energy. And then the cellular oxygen gets that energy transferred. And the oxygen becomes singlet oxygen, which is a kind of a high energy con content oxygen, which is more active. And that singlet oxygen then attacks cells around it and destroys it. 
So it is basically singlet oxygen which does the killing. The photophrene is the one which harvests the light and then basically taken together you cause cell kill in kind of a you know, cancer in a certain area. So there are multiple companies which have different derivatives of heme, like Foscan, then Vidufrain, Photofrain. These are all basically this variations of heme and different formulations. And for basal cell carcinomas or Bowen's disease, which is also affects more ladies than men, which mostly in the hand or leg area, the red patches, which are also kind of basal cell carcinomas. This is the pre-cancer stage. So use five amino levulinic acid, the brand names is Levulan or Keratix, which is basically this compound. Incidentally, this is actually the starting point of heme biosynthesis. So this is basically used as a topical um, agent. So you use a cream, you put it on, and then the laser light goes over it. And then within a few hours, you basically destroy all the cell which are in the area where the light is projected. So photodynamic therapy is a viable modality. It is used not only for skin cancer, it is used for Barrett esophagus, which is basically if you have acid reflux, your esophagus started growing a little bit abnormal. And then there also you inject this material and put a laser light through a fiber optic inside your you know, esophagus and then put the light on and then basically it destroys the cancer cells around or semi-cancer cells, pre-cancer cells. And then you have cervical dysplasia. There's another one where light can go. BCC, of course, we talked about basal cell carcinomas. Then papillary bladder cancer and lung cancer, particularly the squamous cell lung cancer. That's another where photodynamic therapy used. So, so far, photodynamic therapy uses singlet oxygen, and that's the killing agent. The problem with singlet oxygen is that it causes cell necrosis. Cell necrosis, cell dies in two different pathways. One is necrosis, and one is apoptosis. The necrosis is one where it is kind of unmanaged destruction. So what basically it will do is it will cause a lot of inflammation, loss of lysogenic activities, and basically you will have a lot of you know, swelling, redness, pus, and all sorts of agents will show up. Okay, I'm going backward. Whereas apoptosis is a programmed cell death. What really happens after a damaging incident, the cell gets the death signal. A lot of enzymes like caspases and all will be activated. And this cascade of enzymatic reactions will begin the cell dismantling process. So what will happen there, you will first see a chromatin granulation. The DNA will start fragmenting. The nuclear envelope will collapse. And then your mitochondria will start leaking cytochrome C. And then slowly the cell will show every sign of destruction, including membrane collapse the blebbing of the membrane, the membrane will start leaking out. And through a series of macrophagic and lysogenic effect, what will happen is all the debris will be cleared up. Indeed, apoptosis is a normal phenomenon. We all lose about six to eight billion skin cells every day. Those who have dandruff, you can see a clear example of basically the apoptosis your intestinal cell lines 
are getting renewed by the process of apoptosis. So apoptosis is one where cell destruction is a, under, under a managed conditions and it is somewhat cleaner. So we were looking at the process by which you can destroy skin cancer, I mean, not the malignant one, but say the basal cell carcinomas or squamous cell carcinomas or Bowen disease by using nitric oxide as the killing agent. So our bleach is not singlet oxygen, but nitric oxide. So why nitric oxide? Before that, let me show you that where the PDT has been very successfully used just to convince you that if we want to do it, I think it will work, I mean, at least on paper at this time. The basal cell carcinomas, the squamous cell carcinomas, that, as I said, is FDA-approved treatment, 80% complete remission. And the side effect, of course, is skin becomes very sensitive. After the treatment, you cannot get out in the sun for two or three weeks because you are extremely sensitive to light. And then liver toxicity is another example because any systemic drug you use, your body has to get rid of it eventually. So there is a lot of pressure on your liver, kidney, and all other machines which basically clears your body. So then the topical therapy I mentioned with aminolevulinic acid, that's also very successful. And in fact, in case of melanoma, after surgical removal of your, uh, the main area of malignant tissues, you really use PDT as a part of an adjuvant therapy and basically take care of, you know, like a precautionary measure. So we will use this small molecule, nitric oxide. Is this diatomic molecule, much like oxygen. Instead of two oxygen, there is one nitrogen, one oxygen. This molecule is in the atmosphere. It is primarily formed when electric discharge in the upper atmosphere combines nitrogen and oxygen. These are the chemical identities, since there is more chemist here, it is fine now. Otherwise, I was asking audience to just ignore that. Just to mention, there is one unpaired electron in the molecule in an antibonding, which is a higher energy orbital. Therefore, this molecule is reactive. So it is much like singlet oxygen. So we can make use of it much like singlet oxygen if you know how to use it. So that's the trick, and that's the connection. Okay. So nitric oxide chemistry in the atmosphere is known for a very long time. And this is LA, which creates the smog. This is 3 o'clock LA Glen. Remember, right? OK, uh, so and uh, this is a typical atmospheric pollutant. And if you just leave that part and look inside us, you must realize that in the last 20 years, nitric oxide has been shown to be an endogenous molecule which literally participate in hundreds of physiological reactions. Indeed, we knew a little bit about it, but we are not sure about that such a small molecule of inorganic origin can really participate in biology in this multifaceted fashion. For example, people knew that when you get infections, your urine has a very high concentration of nitrite, which is formed by this simple reaction in the body. And indeed, this molecule is soluble in water. It's about one millimolar at body temperature. So it is not very surprising the molecule is moving around in the body and participating in physiological function. It is formed in the body by the simple five-electron oxidation 
of an amino acid, which is arginine. And that's why arginine is now in every health food, because people believe that is helping you in producing nitric oxide in your system. This is a five electron oxidation. It forms citrulline and one molecule of nitric oxide. And the enzyme which performs this miraculous five electron oxidation is called nitric oxide synthase, or NOS. There are two types of NOS. One is present in the all endothelial cells, the entire your blood circulation pathways. And that's the endothelial NOS, or ENOS. Nitric oxide performs in the neurotransmission. So there is neuronal NOS, which is present in the neuronal cells in the brain. And then the third kind, which is called the inducible NOS, which basically you can induce that enzyme in the body, the protein in the body, under certain cytokine and other kind of stresses, which basically will produce large quantities of NO. So ENOS or NNOS produces about nanomolar concentration of nitric oxide in the body. And this is the catalytic side. It is a cytochrome P450 type of an enzyme, which is, contains heme. And this is the pocket where the amino acid will get oxidized. And basically, in the nanomolar concentration, NO is maintaining your blood pressure at this moment in every body around. So what basically it does, it, it gets into the cell through the calcium, cal calmodulin path. Once the surge of calcium comes in, calmodulin binding activates that NOS, that enzyme, and it will produce nitric oxide in nanomolar concentration in the endothelial cells lining your blood vessels. And that will activate, in turn, the guanyl cyclase, which will produce cyclic GMP, which is just an agent which will relax muscle. So basically, the cell wall of the blood vessel will relax. And that maintains the tonal, I mean, the tone of the blood vessels. And it also helps the platelets not to aggregate. So in this way, the entire blood circulation path you know, keeps going because otherwise blood can coagulate or your blood pressure can change very quickly in a very irreversible fashion if there is a change in the calcium concentration. Nitric oxide also is not very benign. It can react with superoxide, form peroxynitrite, then can attack protein. It can attack DNA, causes a lot of DNA damage if it is produced in a high concentration. And indeed, that's the one we want now. So this is the total biological role of nitric oxide. Even if you don't read all this, you can understand it has multiple roles. Out of that, the regulatory roles are the one which basically is taking care of your vascular tone. It is taking care of your bronchodilations. It is taking care of your renal functions, hepatic metabolism. And then it is also involved in the ED and all the process going on there is also involved with nitric oxide. Then there's a the protective function of nitric oxide, but we are interested in the deleterious part of that function, where basically you have to create a high concentration of nitric oxide in a specific target. So what that will do then, it will go for mitochondrial respiration damage, it will cause DNA damage, it will cause lipid peroxidation, and it will cause kind of an antioxidant stress. And that will give cells the signal for apoptosis, and that will cause the cell kill. So the whole concept here is you have to raise the concentration of nitric oxide at a certain locale 
in the millimolar concentration. But that's risky because if you take any systemic NO drug and put it in the mouth, it will go everywhere. And by the time you raise your concentration to the millimolar level, the cancer might be cured, but you'll have a heart attack long back, long before the whole thing happens. So you simply cannot use a simple nitric oxide donor and use it. And indeed, there are plenty of nitric oxide donor in the market to take care of the blood pressure and heart attack episodes. For example, this is glyceryl trinitrate, which is over 120 years or 150 years we have been using without knowing. If you have an angina pain, you put the tablet under your mouth and it lowers your angina pectoris. The whole idea there is it is releasing nitric oxide through an enzymatic path and that is causing the relaxation. Then this is isoamyl nitrite, which is used through inhalation path. And actually, if you have a heart attack, you are going to hospital, the doctors might break an isoamyl nitrite ampoules and ask you to inhale it, because that will rapidly raise your nitric oxide concentration in the vascular system. Then there are other S-nitrosothiol they talks about. I mean, these are basically called SNAP, GSNO. Then there is something called NONOAIDS. These are all systemic nitric oxide donor, and these are all organic. And there are examples of inorganic one also. These are mostly nitrosils, which are nitric oxide complexes of metal. For example, nitroprusside is called nitropid in the hospitals. Again, you go for a heart attack episode, you will be injected an aqueous solution of SNP, which is sodium nitroprusside, which will lower your blood pressure within a minute or two. Basically what happens here, this releases the NO bound to the metal center. However, it has problem because it has cyanide also as the other ligand. So if your liver is compromised, then what will happen is your liver will conk out at the end of say 10 minutes or so. So the doctors has to be careful in administering this kind of nitric oxide donor. People have tried other nitric oxide complexes of metals so far with very little success. So what our plan was in this game is to get the nitric oxide complex of metal or nitrosils as the donor, but make it triggerable, i.e. that you have to trigger this material so that you can say go and it will give you nitric oxide. So there should be a trigger in the mechanism. So you will first allow it to say go to a certain spot, but not through any enzyme pathway, not through any pH gradient, you will allow any decomposition so that no nitric oxide you will lose during the delivery or during the placement of that material in a malignant site. So once that is done, then you will start triggering. To do that, this is a drug research which is totally ab initio. It started in the lab. You draw the molecule, you know the chemistry, and then you decide, I will make this molecule which will do this job. It is not like going all over the world, collecting dust, collecting sponge, collecting leaves or skin of trees or something like that. Here you are looking for something which you know it will work. I mean, that's the way we'll go. But I'm not going to tell you all the chemical reasons why we're trying to do all this, but I'll tell you what we decided is Take a ligand or an organic frame which will hold the metal tight. And we will add one or two nitric oxide molecule on it and make this designed nitrosyl. The whole idea will be this material will be such 
that only when light will strike, because we know that light is a good trigger, and we can light any part of your body through fiber optic. So light will be our trigger, not pH, not enzyme, or not any other biological trigger. So this will be a physical trigger. And without this, to hold the metal tight, you need something which will, like a claw, hold this metal in one place. So these are called multi-dented ligand, which basically there are multiple nitrogen which will hold the metal. You will see the structure in a minute. And then the design is such, we decided these are pretty similar. If you notice, here is the pyridine extra, here is a carboxamide or a peptide group here, here is an imine group. And just to check that this will work, this won't work, that won't work. So again, this is the design where we know what will work, what not, and we are proving the point. So this is the first example where the will-do ligand really did the job. This is the iron, and that's the organic frame which is wrapped around it, and here is the nitric oxide bound to it. These are all the metric parameters. You don't have to worry about it, but this compound is highly sensitive to light. When you first met the compound, dissolve it, put it in there, this light is too much light. So we put it in the solution in front of our eyes, it was changing color. So that shows that it will trigger nitric oxide release if you just expose it to very low intensity visible light. Indeed, if you run the spectrum, you can see slowly it is changing one species to other. The time is not slow. It is about 40, fast, you know, 40 45 seconds, half of the compound is gone. So it is very rapidly releasing millimolar concentration of nitric oxide, which you want. And indeed, the clean reaction is very clean. What happens is the nitric oxide goes and the solvent comes in, but the rest of the compound stays intact. That is what you want. Just to prove that this is all design drug, what we took is that material and added one electron to the system. Without much chemistry, what I'm trying to tell you here is that if you tweak this molecule a little bit, it will stop. And we know why it will stop, and we have doing some calculations to theoretical calculation to understand what principles will govern this kind of photoactivity. So the rate is very fast. As you put light in, NO comes out. This is the typical kinetic trace they talk about. And if you increase the power of the light, say 25 watt to 50 watt to 100 watt, you'll speed up. So it is a pretty good system. The problem was it was not very stable in biological medium. So even though we got the molecule, it did not serve the purpose. So <coughs> these are the rate. <coughs> Typical chemist idea, we went to the next element, ruthenium. So the ruthenium this time, by the color of the slide is the color of the compound, okay? So it is in orange. This time, it is very stable, soluble in water, does the job right. Only problem is it needs a little bit of UV light, not visible light. Even though the light is 5 milliwatt, which is 1,000 times less than what you used in a tanning salon, but still it is UV light. But it does its job, and you can take this material, transfer this nitric oxide to any enzyme. These are all typical chemical experiments, just to show what really happens if you take an enzyme like a, or even a target like myoglobin, which is present in your muscle. And if you put this material in there, the ruthenium nitrosyl, and just keep it in the dark, nothing will happen. You shine light on it, the nitric oxide will come and jump from the compound to the target, 
and you will get the nitrosylated myoglobin within a few seconds. So you can target a biological you know, entity very easily with this using light. Only problem was it was UV light. So we went back again and through chemical principles, we chose manganese and this time the compound is green. And this compound, again the same, it holds the metal tight. Here is the nitric oxide. This nitric oxide is now photolabile. Color is green so you can understand it is using visible light around 600, 550 to 600. And that's causing the nitric oxide expulsion very easily with the 5 to 10 milliwatt of light. So this compound is again soluble in water, stable in water. So this is now what we want because this compound might work. Indeed, if you put a nitric oxide electrode and if you give flashes of light, you can see it is very obediently giving you nitric oxide. If you give a 10 millisecond pulse, it gives you a 10 millisecond worth of NO and then 15, 20, go down to 5. So you will get enough NO depending on how much light you are using. So this is kind of an ideal situation. With that, we then went to biological experiment. We have shown it goes to enzymes or goes to protein easily. What's about muscles? Because remember, nitric oxide should relax blood vessels. So what we did, we took a rat uh, aorta here, and then you basically take the muscle ring out, and you cut it, and you basically contract it with a drug, add your compound, and give a pulse of light. So the light will give nitric oxide, and immediately the muscle will relax. So your blood vessels will open up. And indeed, that's what it did. So these, all these things convinced us that this material will be applicable to biology. But we have to put it in a certain site. We cannot just add it and then do it, because as I said, we are not using a systemic drug. We are using a site-specific drug. To do that, what you have to do is you have to immobilize this material in a polymer matrix so that it will be like a gummy bear. So I'll put the gummy bear next to my cancer and then ask light to transfer this material, okay? That is the goal. So we are making gummy bear in the whole process and Allegra just made some gummy bear. So this is like a soul gel. And here the color is a very convenient indicator, okay? So you know that the green gummy bear, as you shine light, it gives, become yellow gummy bear. And in the process, this material has delivered nitric oxide that you can follow by your amperogram. So your electrode is monitoring and telling, yeah, every time you are pulsing light, it is giving you nitric oxide. So this material is now ready to be placed in a malignant site, and we can check what actually will do. So we published this paper during a typical special day, St. Patrick's Day. So we decided to give this as a shine to show that indeed this patch if we put it at a site, NO will be delivered only where light strike. NO won't be delivered where light did not strike. Okay, so here what you did, we put a kind of a cover on the top, so light did not strike the gel here, so it is still green, but this part, the light struck, and that's yellow. So it shows that the spatial distribution of nitric oxide can be controlled precisely. So therefore, NO won't leak out to normal cell and kill normal cell. It will only attack cancer cells if we know where the cancer is, of course. Then we have immobilized it in other types of plastic. This is the ruthenium compound, orange. This needs UV light, and you can show that these small pieces of plastic basically can do the job. So these are the material which you want to use in your biological experiment. 
Question is, these things can leak out of it, the gummy bear, okay? The drug might come out. So what you do, you put a polyurethane coating on the top of this gummy bear so that that gives a protective coating, which is biocompatible. So if you place it in biology, what will happen is only NO will come out. The compound and the photoproducts will be all locked inside. So therefore, there is no side effect from the photoproducts. So the body won't have to clear anything because at the end of the treatment, you are pulling the thing out. Okay? So all the residual drug you are taking out of the system. That's the advantage. To do that, what you can do is you take the ruthenium, the you know, synthesis. So what you will do is you will put a polymerizable group at the bottom so that that you will basically tie up with the polymer matrix. Okay, so you know how to do that now because there are very many polymeric techniques known. So in this material, that NO donor is actually covalently attached. And then if you shine light, only NO comes out and the rest of the material won't need any polyurethane coat because here the whole thing is bound. So therefore nothing can escape except nitric oxide. The last bit of problem is the skin is transparent to only near IR light. Skin is not very transparent material. It only allows light from 650 to 850 to go through. And that's because we have hemoglobin, all the red blood and all this stuff and water and that really blocks a certain part of the light window. So we have to move the photoband in the near IR region if we want to use it on skin. So the whole idea is how to move the photoband. Well, chemistry knows how to do it if you are able to do the synthesis. Basically what you do is you build up more on the ligand frame and allow the absorption of light to move further in the visible area. And indeed this is in our lab what we showed, the same compound by tweaking the organic fragment around the metal you can allow the photoband to systematically walk towards the low energy region. So basically you can make something pale yellow, orange, red, blue, green, by depending on what kind of organic moieties are surrounding the metal and the nitric oxide is associated with it. Indeed, here is an example. This is one of the polymeric polydented material that we made before, and now we change this organic fragment more and this time, what you see, the photoband is moving more towards, the, remember, 650 to 750. This is the area where the skin is transparent. And indeed, this time, here, the color is maroon. And then if you shine light on it, it becomes colorless. So this is the material which is embedded in polymer matrix. And you can use that polymer in, and use about 700, 710, 800 nanometer light and deliver you know, to a biological target. Another way we know how to sensitize this molecule, what you can do is you can take a molecule which is absorbing in the UV, but then allow different dye to attach. So the dye will absorb light and transfer the energy and NO will be expelled. So that's another trick, you can do it. There's the structures known. And you can attach various different kinds of dye to make your drug sensitive to a certain light. So you can play with these. As I said, this is a totally designed drug that you can make a drug to deliver NO, say, at 600 nanometer light. You can make a drug to deliver NO at 700, at 800, depending on what kind of sensitizer you are attaching to the molecule. 
So in the final few minutes, we wanted to show now that what we have made now is a nitric oxide donor which delivers NO at a certain frequency of light only when we expose it to light, biologically stable. It is all immobilized in a polymer matrix. So this whole polymer nitrosyl conjugate or a composite, whatever you call that, depending on how you embedded the material, you can take it to a biological target and now will it do the job? I mean, that's the question. Is PDT with nitric oxide will be a feasible treatment modality? That's the question. So what we are doing now is you are growing different types of cancer cells and you are putting this kind of a slice of the gel next to it which is in close contact. There is a thin layer of buffer in between. And then they were allowing different light, depending on the material, to fall on the cancer area. And you want to see whether the high concentration of NO coming out of these polymers are causing apoptosis in the cells just in contact with it. Because this is the first in vitro, but it is a little bit of biological test to see the feasibility of NO delivery. So indeed, here is an example. This is the breast cancer cell line. So I'm not sure whether you can see it very clearly, but we'll try to show you what it basically, we took a ruthenium nitrosyl. <coughs> this is just to show in the growth medium where the cells are by allowing a nuclear stain, DAPI, so it is lighting up the nuclei. So tell you, here is a cell, here is a cell, here is one, like that. Then we soak it with the drug here this time, the drug enters there. And remember, this drug has a fluorescent probe. So we can see it. So we have washed the rest of it. So you can see the cells are all lighted up because the drug is inside the cell. This thing are kept all in dark. So now this time, after some times, if we check whether that NO has caused, say, the DNA fragmentation, the sign of apoptosis or not, we use it assay called tunnel assay that lights up any broken DNA pieces. So if your DNA is damaged or broken or torn into pieces, it will light up. But as you see, there is no, the whole field is dark. So there is no DNA damage. And this is just the picture to merge, just to be sure that I'm looking at a cell, nothing else. In the same experiment, this time, after you add the drug to the cell, this time you allow a light exposure. So you give the cell a you know, kind of a flash of light for sometimes a few seconds, few minutes, depending on the dosage. And then you allow the tunnel assay again. And as you can see, these all lighting up simply because DNA is fragmented. Here is a close up. You see the nuclear DNA has been broken into at least two fragments very clearly. You can see the tunnel assay is pointing out the DNA has indeed Dam got kind of a big damage in the whole thing. And this, again, to just march. So these kind of experiments are convincing us that if you allow the drug to go in and don't allow light to come in, in the picture, then nothing will happen. There's, we'll have to check, of course, the toxicity. We have to do that. But at this time, it is telling us that simple light triggering will allow NO-induced apoptosis in a cancer cell in a very convenient way, which otherwise was not possible. 
So how it will come to skin cancer. So here what we are trying to do is these patches. Here is the green compound, remember, the one which we did for St. Patrick's Day joke. So this is the one where you can take this material, which is now on a hemopolymer matrix, and then you can put it, say, on the area where, say, BCC patch is there. And then we are expecting or we are hoping that these kind of experiments we have to do now soon in animals. I mean that basically after light you can see that NO transfer will be very clear that indeed your drug has been delivered and this thing you can just basically peel off. Okay? So that's all we are trying to do. And then the other technique which we are planning to do with Professor Glenn Milhauser, I mean he has some very specific peptides which basically allow me to use very simple terms which kind of get recognized by the melanoma cell receptors. So basically these are kind of hormone or hormone related stuff. I mean Glenn will give you all the detail. So basically that peptide which are small in length, so we are hoping that peptide or the peptide mimic which have a high affinity for melanoma cell, if we can conjugate this kind of metallo nitric oxide donor drugs, what you will do is this conjugate you can then basically directly apply to the melanoma areas. Only the cell which are affected will bind it tightly and then it is basically picking up a live grenade. So basically as soon as light will strike, the cell will get hit by a strong dosage of nitric oxide and we are hoping that kind of treatment, much like that of PDT idea, will destroy melanoma cells kind of in a more site-selective fashion. So the other use which we are thinking about for case of solid tumor like prostate cancer and all, there are treatments like called cryotherapy, which basically what they do is they take a probe and use liquid nitrogen to destroy cells in a certain area, in a very small you know, area, you can destroy cells easily that way, or breast cancer or colon cancer following a rapid surgery to remove a larger mass of tumor. So what we are trying to do, kind of an endoscopy idea, where basically we are trying to make a device where this polymer is the tip of the endoscope and a fiber optic cable is going through the scope so that this is the light source and at the light source is outside. So if you can place this material in the vicinity or minor surgical procedure, so you allow it to penetrate the mass where the solid tumor is and then allow the light to trigger a lot of nitric oxide release within a short time, we are hoping that we'll be able to induce apoptosis in the vicinity in a very effective way which otherwise is not possible. So this is kind of a device dependent treatment and the other one was kind of skin patches which are kind of the first hand you know, treatment where the cancer is very superficial, I mean only on the surface. If it is a little bit deeper we are not sure how far NO will travel. But in an hypoxic environment inside cancer, nitric oxide's life is few seconds to close to a minute. And nitric oxide is a neutral molecule and it will travel through nuclear membrane or cellular membrane or cellular wall very fast. So we are expecting in a hypoxic tumor mass, nitric oxide will travel a lot, a few millimeter from the site of 
you know, it's a kind of where it started. So if that works, so it will allow this kind of treatment to be kind of effective, but this is all in the process of being built at this time. I think it is five. I mean, I will stop here by thanking the people who did most of the work. I mean, Dr. Apurbo Patra and Koshi Ghosh, who were like the postdoctoral fellow in the lab who started doing the synthesis and making this molecule, which basically donate NO under light, Mike Rose and Allegra Irai Rivales and Genevieve Halpin, who are all in the audience. I mean, they are the graduate student, present graduate student. Mike has done most of the ruthenium work, and Mangani's work was done by Allegra. And Genevieve is kind of making all the polymer embedded material, and she is also busy in making the device, which is kind of long way to go, yet there's a lot of engineering problem we have to solve. And uh, Yvonne Luang was an undergraduate who participated in the manganese project in a very efficient way. And X-ray work was done mostly by Marilyn Olmsted, but now we are doing X-ray work here. We have to know what we are making because everything, we have to see what we have made and how it is functioning. So the structure function relations is very important in this whole design. We have done some collaborative work to show that nitric oxide really attacks the cytochrome C oxidase in the mitochondria because that's another chief or major pathway of cell kill. So that work was done. John Fukuto at UCLA Medical School helped us to do the muscle experiments because we do not have live animal, you know, permit to kill live animal and pull things out. I mean, not yet. And NSF and NIH and CBSE provided money to conduct the research. And thank you for your attention. Any question? Yeah. We did a cell count statistics, Mike. What was <laughs> what was the answer? It bounces between forty and sixty percent. Yeah. Yes. We have to kill everything. Right. It is, well, it could be many things because sometimes the, I'm not sure whether um, all cells got the same amount during the dosing experiment, what we did. So we need to play with the concentration and how long we will keep the drug in contact with the cell so that the cell can get, this is the direct introduction of a drug. But in the endoscopic type of treatment, what you will do is you will allow only NO to diffuse. So there we won't have possibly that problem. Here the penetration of the drug is an important point, right? It has to go in. So, and also we only use, what, eight hours, right? Generally people study apoptosis after 24 hours or even I have seen studies which are done after three days. So we possibly did not allow the cells to really die completely before we photographed them. So that could be the other reason that only 60% we saw the DNA. Because the tunnel did not, you know, won't light up until the DNA is broken, right? The DNA has been fragmented, at least a few pieces. Yeah, so the tunnel was not possibly picking up those cells where it didn't begin yet. 
Well, the process of apoptosis is also pretty complex. So we are not very sure. Yes. Wasn't they pretty matured by the time we added the drug? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a big possibility too. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Is there any concern with the topical path about an NO leakage for people that have like hypertension or migraines or something like that? So that there'd be more NO in the system than one? Yeah, I mean if you look at the epidermis is about what, a millimeter thick? and then the squamous layer is there, and then you have a fat tissue. So the skin is about a few millimeter thick before the blood vessels show up. So if NO travels that far, we will be lucky because by then all the cancer cells are wiped out. But we are expecting that NO will be stopped at a certain point and hopefully the peripheral blood vessels won't be exposed to you know, any kind of NO. It will all taken care of or die out before it goes a few millimeter deep. But it's possible, but people have done peripheral experiment, but they have injected the NO drug straight in the muscles where the capillaries picked up nitric oxide. Then they saw a lowering of blood pressure. But in our case, it has to be simple diffusion. And the NO has the patch will have a coat on the top, so NO will go only down, not go up. So all the you know, which are embedded in the nitrosils will be delivered you know, downwards. So it depends. I mean, I think the penetration might not be that far. I doubt it, but could happen. Yeah. Well, no more questions. So that's, okay, that's all.